We're going to hear from the Bible now. Um, And the first reading, as you can see from the screen, is 2 Samuel 7, verses 1 to 17. And that's found on page 301. To Samuel 7. After the king was settled in his palace and the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies around him, he said to Nathan the prophet, Here I am, living in a palace of cedar, while the ark of God remains in a tent. Nathan replied to the king, Whatever you have in mind, go ahead and do it, for the Lord is with you. That night the word of the Lord came to Nathan, saying, Go and tell my servant David, This is what the Lord says. Are you the one to build me a house to dwell in? I have not dwelt in a house from the day I brought the Israelites up out of Egypt to this day. I have been moving from place to place with a tent as my dwelling. Wherever I have moved with all the Israelites, did I ever say to any of their rulers whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now then, tell my servant David, this is what the Lord Almighty says. I took you from the pasture and from following the flock to be a ruler over my people, Israel. I have been with you wherever you have gone, and I have cut off all your enemies from before you. Now I will make your name great, like the names of the greatest men of the earth. And I will provide a place for my people, Israel, and will plant them so they, have, they can have a home of their own and no longer be disturbed. Wicked people will not oppress them any more as they did at the beginning, and have done ever since the time I appointed leaders over my people Israel. I will also give you rest from all your enemies. The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. When your days are over and you rest with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, who will come from your own body, and I will re-establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he will be my son. When he does wrong, I will punish him with the rod of men, with floggings inflicted by men. But my love will never be taken away from him, as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed from before you. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. Nathan reported to David all the words of this entire revelation. Uh, The second reading tonight comes from Luke chapter 23, verses 32 to 43, and is on page uh, 1046 of the Pew Bibles, up the top right hand of that page. So it's Luke 23, verses 32 to... 43. Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the Skull, there they crucified him, along with the criminals, one on his right and the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing, and they divided up his clothes by casting lots. The people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, he saved others, let him save himself, if he is the Christ of God, the chosen one. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. 
there was a written notice above him which read, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence? We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, I tell you the truth. Today you will be with me in paradise. G'day folks, I'm one of the Rogers. Uh, If you're a visitor tonight, glad you're with us. Uh, As Alana mentioned early on, this is uh, fifth of five talks uh, in big themes across the Bible. We've been to creation to new creation, covenant, a word about God's big promises. We've been to temple, sacrifice, and tonight, kingdom. Uh, What I would love you to do is just to think about your general knowledge skills when it comes to kings of the world, uh, because I'm going to put this lecture in the middle because I'm a bit of a bandit for symmetry. So just think about kings of the world. I've got a pop quiz for you. Uh, I'll give you some hints. Spain, Thailand, go. Okay, who's the king of Spain? First hand, first hand. Just have a guess, like it's a Spanish name. Juan Carlos. Well done, Davy. Good work. Uh, and King of Thailand. King of Thailand. Yep, good mumbling, everyone. Excellent. Doesn't work for you at trivia, doesn't work for you here. It's uh, Wikipedia tells me it's uh, King Buhimbol Adelaide. He's the um he's the guy whose whose portrait is in every Thai restaurant on, on King Street. Uh, in fact, if you want to have a, a good conversation with the people you get your tie from, personally, I'm a Tyler Ong man, um, just ask them about their king. They love talking about their king. The thing about kings is that uh, there's different kinds of, of kings in the world. Not just good kings and bad kings. That's too simplistic an analysis. Uh, there are kings that just kind of hang out, let the world roll on by. I mean, if you're an Australian, you've got the Queen in your pocket, good chance. If you've got any change, most likely your most recent interaction with the monarch is this. Heads or tails? Heads, of course, heads. Oh, hello, lady. Yeah, see? (laughs) Queen Elizabeth. Queen Elizabeth. Now, she's our monarch, uh, because she's a lady, she's a queen, not a king, Um, but she has a kingdom. Uh, Australia is part of the Commonwealth, uh, but really doesn't make that much difference day in, day out. I mean, look, respect, she looks lovely in lemon. She's got a serious collection of hats, and she can wave like this for hours, even on a barge when it's windy. Um, But different kings demand different things. Different kings demand different things. Some kings demand that you just put their picture up in your restaurant. Some, uh, some kings demand tribute, taxation. We're going to hear about one of those kings tonight from, from 1 Samuel. Uh, some kings just demand your, your respect, your affection, your kind of standing up when they come into the room or you know, when it's time to sing God Save the King. Some kings just want you to be like them. 
And some kings just want you to recognize that they, in fact, are the king and you're not. Uh, As we look at these big themes across the Bible, these five themes that we've looked at, creation, God's big promises in covenant, temple, sacrifice, and now kingdom, you can see they all kind of mix in together. In every one, we've started at the beginning in Genesis, where God speaks creation into being with a plan to finish it at the end with a new creation where he is fulfilling his promises, where he dwells with his people like in the temple, where the one sacrifice of his own son Jesus on the cross brings people back into relationship with him. God is committed to dwelling with his people and he's committed to dwelling with them as well, as our king. And so tonight we're going to reflect uh, from a bunch of places in the Bible on what it means for God to properly be king. Uh, we're going to start not at the beginning. Uh, we're going to start in the middle. We're going to go back to the beginning and then to the end. Uh, that's my plan because it doesn't really make sense to see the shadows of the kingdom, which is what the Old Testament gives us, shadows of the reality to come without thinking about the king himself. So come with me to Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1 is where we're going to start. Mark chapter 1, if you've got one of these Bibles, it's brown, it's attractive, but it does the job. Page 990. Uh, One of the things about this sermon series is you get to flick all over the Bible. And we'll tell you the page numbers. doesn't matter if you don't know where it is. We'll just tell you where it is. Mark is one of the four guys who writes a, a biography, a portrait of Jesus. Uh, Each of the four gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, come at describing Jesus in a slightly different way. But each of the four describe him as the Christ. Now, Christ is a Greek word. The Hebrew word is Messiah. It means the same thing, God's chosen king who saves. Whenever you see the word Christ, it's a ding, ding. It's a king word talking about a guy who's been promised to rescue God's people and take them to this promised place where the king will reign and rule. And so when you read Mark chapter 1, verse 1, Mark kind of gives it away straight from the beginning. No secrets. The beginning of the gospel, gospel means good news, the beginning of the good news about Jesus, Christ. That's a king word. See, I've finished my king sermon. Jesus Christ the Son of God. And then Mark goes to the sources to show you that there was a Christ expected. He quotes from Isaiah. He talks about John, the one who would announce Jesus' coming. But I want you to look at Jesus' baptism because Jesus in Mark, his kingship is conferred on him by his father. Using a quote from Psalm 2, which we'll get to in a second, Jesus is established as a king right from the very beginning. You've got to ask yourself, what sort of king is Jesus? Is he a pretender to the throne? What sort of king is he? Is he a king who just is happy for you to have his picture up? Is he a king that demands a tribute or a tax? Or is he some other kind of king? Have a look with me at the, uh, the description of Jesus' baptism in Mark from chapter 1, verse 9. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. As Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descends on him like a dove. And a voice comes from heaven, and this is the quote from Psalm 2, You are my Son, whom I love. With you 
I am well pleased. Now, it doesn't sound like a particularly kingly description of Jesus. It doesn't sound like a particularly kingly description of Jesus, but Psalm 2 is all about God establishing his king. And he is the king because God says, you're my son. So there's two ways to go about a sermon on kingship. One is just to look up the word king in your Bible dictionary or on your phone and talk about all the times it says king or kingdom in the Bible. What you lose if you do that, if you do a word study, is you lose the places in the Bible where the idea of kingship exists, but you don't get the word king. So when God says, you are my son whom I love, there's a conferring of kingship from father to son. Just in the same way that at the very beginning of the Bible, in Genesis chapters 1, 2, 3, the idea that God speaks creation into being and has a good plan and a purpose for it, that he commands his creatures to live freely in his creation, that, that's a description of what a king does. He has people that he rules over and loves them and looks after them, has a good plan for them. It doesn't say the word king, but it's a kingdom. From the very beginning, God is the king. And any rebellion against the king, well, you know they have a word for that. Treason. And treason is a crime punishable by death. Because you've taken your life, which belongs to the king, and you've lived it in opposition to the one who rules. When in Mark chapter 1, God declares Jesus in verse 11, You are my son whom I love, with you I'm well pleased. You're meant to get a little bit of the picture of Jesus as the Christ, the king, the son of God. Mark makes his intentions clear right from the beginning. He, he says it's a gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And then there's really a very clear statement about what we're meant to do in response to this king. If you've got Mark chapter 1 open, it's there in verse 14 and 15. After John gets put in prison, Jesus goes into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God, the gospel. And have a look at verse 15. 2,000 years ago, Jesus walked on earth... And said this, the time has come, the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the gospel. Repent and believe the good news. Jesus said the kingdom of God is near. Now in English it's easy to make near into here. Well, they kind of rhyme and you could, if you spelt badly, just put a little dash on top of the end. But this is written in Greek, it doesn't really work that way. The question is, when does the kingdom come? When does the kingdom come? Is, does it come with Jesus? Does he arrive as a king? Well, kind of. If you read Matthew's story, the wise guys show up at Jesus' birth and give him kingly gifts. The king of the time is threatened by Jesus' presence and so kills everyone under two when he hears that there's a rival king. It's pretty obvious, no matter which of the biographers of Jesus you, you look at, he was established as a king early on. In Mark, it just says the kingdom of God is near. And it's meant to kind of hook you in and go, well, when does the kingdom come? When does Jesus, if he's a king, when does his kingdom actually happen? Because 
He doesn't look like much of a king. Now, before we go, before we go back to Israel, back to the Old Testament where there were kings in, over God's people, well, let's just let's just go to the coronation of Jesus. Now, if you're following on in your Bible, we're going to look at Luke chapter 23. It was that second reading that Phil read out. The coronation of a king tells you something about what sort of king he's going to be. The coronation of a king tells you something about what sort of king he's going to be. A no-frills king has a no-frills coronation when he has his crown put on and is publicly declared to be the king. The king is dead. Long live the king. Luke chapter 23 records Jesus' death. Did you notice as Phil read it how many kind of times the idea of Jesus being a king comes up? Sometimes people just kind of mock Jesus as if this could be a king. And this is one of the beautiful things about Christianity. Jesus doesn't look like the king you expect. Jesus isn't a king that begs for your adoration. Jesus isn't a king that's happy with you just putting his photo up. This is a startlingly different picture of kingship. Have a look with me uh, from verse 32. If you're looking in Luke 23, it's on page 1046, 1046. From Luke chapter 3, verse 32. And you've got to hear, hear all the times that Jesus' kingship is alluded to. Two other men, both criminals, were led out with Jesus to be executed. When they came to the place called the Skull, there they crucified him along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. It's not much of a coronation so far. 35, the people stood watching and the rulers even sneered at Jesus. They said, he saved others. Let him save himself if he's the king, the Messiah, the Christ of God, the chosen one. And the, the soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. The understanding being that that's what a king does when he's under pressure. He serves his own interests. Verse 38, there was a written notice above Jesus which read, this is the king of the Jews. Verse 39, one of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at Jesus. Aren't you the Christ? Aren't you a king? Save us! If you're really powerful, use your power to save yourself <laughs> and us. Verse 40, but the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God? He said, since you're under the same sentence, we are punished justly for we're getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. When does the kingdom come? Verse 43, Jesus answered him, I tell you the truth, today you will be with me in paradise. See, this is the coronation of King Jesus. With the crown of thorns, with a robe of really nothing at all with a sign that says, kind of tauntingly, this is the king of the Jews. 
with everyone who sees him saying, if you're the king, save yourself. Because that's what a king would do. But what the king that God chose, the king that God handed his kingship over to does, is say, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they are doing. Jesus' coronation is his death on the cross as God punishes his own son for the sin of everyone who's committed treason. Uh, You and I have lived in God's world and treated God at times as if he doesn't exist, as if God is just a figment of our imagination or maybe we've just held a picture of him up and nodded to it occasionally. Maybe we've worn something around our neck or tried to pay tribute to buy him off. Now, the cross of Jesus Christ reminds us that treason against God's chosen king is a deadly, serious offence. But that God is deadly serious about purchasing his people back, even at very great cost. Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. If you saw the king, if you saw the king that God had chosen, if you were there, just like everyone else, we would have missed it. Because he's not the king we expected. And so when we think about the kingdom of God, it's, it's almost the antithesis, the upside down, the absolute opposite of what we expect a kingdom to be like. Kings have power. What do you do with power? You hang on to it. You grasp it. You use it for your advantage, right? Just flick a few chapters forward to John 13 and you'll see what Jesus does with pure power. We've looked at this passage in the last couple of weeks, but it's worth just a reread. John chapter 13, verse 3. This is the night before Jesus' crucifixion in John's account. What does a king do with raw power? John 13, verse 3, page 1066. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, that he'd come from God and was returning to God. That's power. That's the knowledge of being a certainty, the king forever. Jesus knows that he's got everything at his feet. And what does he do? He goes to his disciples' feet. He gets up from the meal, takes off his outer clothing and wraps a towel around his waist, washes his disciples' feet and in less than 24 hours is nailed to a cross. The king gives up his life for his people. This is the kingdom of God. Is that the way that the kingdom has always been? We're going to take a flick back to the Old Testament to see when this idea of kingship arose. Come back to to 1 Samuel chapter 7. 1 Samuel chapter, sorry, 1 Samuel chapter 8. One Samuel chapter 8 is on page 268. We're still asking the question, what is this, what is this king like? From the very beginning of creation, God was king over all. 
when he chose for himself a people, the descendants of Abraham, they were his treasured possession, Exodus 19. His treasured possession. He, he saved them out of Egypt, out of slavery. He told them how to live freely as his people, like a good king does. Good commands that help people live well, rightly in the world. But a few generations after God has saved his people and established them in this great place, in this land... There's a guy called Samuel. Samuel is well, he's a judge. He kind of exacts justice by travelling around to the tribes and, and making sure that people are living as they should as God's people. Um, up to this point, judges had kind of just arisen because of the strength of their character. If your dad was a judge, you weren't necessarily a judge. But see what happens in 1 Samuel, verse, uh, 1 Samuel 8, verse 1. When Samuel grew old, he appointed his sons as judges for Israel. He had Joel and Abijah, and they served to be Sheba, but his sons didn't walk in his ways. That's code for being dodgy. They turned aside after dishonest gain and accepted bribes and perverted justice. That's a familiar scenario to us. So the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel, and they said to him, and it's just a great way to open a speech, You are old, and your sons don't walk in your ways. Now... Appoint a king to lead us, such as all the other nations have. Now, it's not such a remarkable sentence when you read it just like this. But up until this point, Israel haven't had a king. Israel have been different, special, chosen, precious. Everyone else has got a king, and you're kind of meant to read this. Now, appoint a king to lead us such as all the other nations have. Oh, Israel, you've fallen for it. You've, you think that you have to be like everyone else instead of being God's treasured possession. See verse 6, but, but when they said, give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel. So he prayed to the Lord and the Lord told him, and listen to the words of God, 1 Samuel 8, verse 7, And the Lord told Samuel, Listen to all that the people are saying to you. It's not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. See, on one level, Israel didn't have a king. They, they had judges, they had officials, they had priests and prophets. But they had a king who was God. And so when Jesus arrives and God says, you are my son whom I love, there's a transfer of father to son kingship that's been there from the very beginning. We heard from 2 Samuel that a king would be established always on this throne, a descendant of David, and you know, you kind of want it to be Solomon, that's David's son, but this, this king will reign forever. And we know Solomon's rule was impressive but short-lived. The king that the Old Testament points to is God himself. He's always been the king. He always will be the king. Jesus is the king that God has chosen to lead his people. There's a bunch of different places in the Old Testament we could go to, but we've, we've seen a, a, a glimpse enough to show that God himself is the king over God's people. Always has been and always will be. 
even earthly kings, are just meant to let you yearn for the proper king who comes in the person of Jesus. We've seen that Jesus has all power like a king does and uses it in a way that you don't expect to serve his people and to purchase them for his very own. And so it's right that we look to the end to see how this king finishes up. And you won't be surprised if you've been here for the last few of these sermons to hear us go to Revelation 21. Uh, It's worth flicking there. The easiest way is to just turn to the back of your Bible and back a few pages. What's the picture at the very end of the Bible got to do with kingdom and kingship? Well, in Revelation 21, it's page 1230, if you're looking at it. The picture of kingship at the end of the Bible is that God again is king. Chapter 21, verse 3. I heard a loud voice from the throne. The throne. Saying, now the dwelling of God is with men and he will live with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. At the beginning, God spoke creation into being and established his kingship by creating creatures, his people, who he loved and cared for. And even though they treacherously, treasonously turned away from him, he bore in himself, in the body of his son, the deathly punishment for treason. Now, this is our story. This is our king who sits as a slain lamb on the throne. Mark chapter 1 asks us the question, what are you going to do when you hear the kingdom is near? Jesus' command was to repent, believe the good news, to to turn back to God. I just want to finish by asking you how you think about Jesus. What do you think about Jesus? Do you treat Jesus as a king Or just as a pretender, as a face on a wall, as a guy around someone's neck on a cross, as someone who can be bought off with tribute? Or do you treat him like a king who, when he says one thing and you says another, his word goes because he's the king? Do you treat him like a king who rules graciously, who cares for his people and knows what's best for them. That would mean that if Jesus and I thought differently about something, I would take his word for it, knowing that he has my best interests at heart. Uh, Each week at church, uh, it's tempting just to come, put on a a happy face, uh, I'm well thanks face, uh, and walk out without really engaging with God himself. Uh, I urge you tonight, in the light of our last five weeks, to hear hear again God's words to us from Scripture. And when you see Jesus, God says, This is my Son, whom I love. And Jesus says, The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. Now, for those uh, who are already walking and trusting in Jesus, treating him like the king that he is, 
Uh, I want to finish by reading just a couple of verses from Hebrews 12. You don't need to turn to them, uh, but hear these words. This is what I'm going to be praying in just a moment, uh, that we would be individuals and a community who respond to the king like this. Hebrews 12:28 says, Therefore, since we're receiving a kingdom that can't be shaken, let's be thankful and worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. Let's be thankful and worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. That's the appropriate response to a real king. Thankfulness, that he is the sort of king who dies on a cross and gives us new life through his resurrection. Thankfulness, and reverent and awful worship of a proper king. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that uh, you are, in fact, a, a real and proper king, and that you are a gracious and just king. Now, we thank you that from the very beginning, uh, You've ruled this world in a way which is good for us, your creatures. Uh, that you've shown both justice and mercy. That you've commanded us in a way that's good for us. Uh, and when we fail, you've sent your son to die in our place. To be raised to life again as a king whose kingdom cannot be shaken. Now we thank you for Jesus that... Uh, his coronation shows us the type of king that he is. Uh, we pray that you would help us to treat you as our king, uh, to be ready uh, for Jesus' return uh, when every knee will bow before his throne and every tongue confess that he is actually the king that you've installed. And Father, we pray for one another that you'd help us to live in a way that that fits with you being the king. Now we thank you for your gracious words to us and we pray that we might live acceptably, reverently and thankfully as your people. Amen.